0: Good morning, agents. Welcome to the briefing room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive assistant, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. Did I just call you my secretary? I think I might have just called you my secretary. I
1: apologize. (laughs) apologize. I'm not sure if you called me. uh, uh, You called me your executive. I think
0: executive (laughs) assistant. I think that's code for secretary. (laughs) <laughs> I should say I'm joined by my assistant director, Charlie Nash.
1: <laughs> that, that that works. I will take a promotion. Yeah.
0: This is episode number zero of the briefing room. This is an introductory episode of the show, just so we can go ahead and set up the iTunes feed and give you a taste of the kind of things we're going to be talking about on the show. As mentioned, this is a podcast focused exclusively on the Showtime series Homeland. We are going to be going episode by episode through season three as it airs every week. So if you don't watch Homeland or you're not caught up, I'm not sure why you're listening to this. You should go away, watch Homeland, and then come back charlie you and i we just wrapped up another podcast for film geek radio uh, avenging angels which was a show all about the series dexter now we're going to be talking about homeland so let's just start off by giving some general thoughts about our experience with homeland and, and what we think of the show how long have you been watching homeland
1: uh i've been watching homeland for maybe less than a month all right you're a newbie yeah, I, I saw that it was coming back on, and we had talked about possibly doing a show on it together. And I'd heard nothing but great things about it, and I bought seasons one and two on Blu-ray, and uh, pretty much just binge watched them for hours and hours and hours every single day up until this podcast. There was literally one night I think it was season two that I just got in the mail, and I was like, I'll watch like two or three episodes. And then I ended up staying up to like 5 a.m. watching like five or six episodes. (laughs) So it's uh, an incredibly gripping show. I think it deals with post 9-11 America in very morally complex and uh, thematically rich ways that are very provocative and quite thrilling. It's got a great cast, uh, led by Claire Danes and Damien Lewis. Their characters are flawed, but very compelling and very empathetic. In even when they're doing things that are horrifying, or they're going against the law, or they're breaking rules, or they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing... I feel like, unlike with the season, uh, the past season of Dexter, that these character, uh the writers uh, are completely in touch with who these characters are and challenges them in uh, really interesting, really thought-provoking, and sometimes incredibly disturbing ways. And I just can't wait till the third season starts.
0: Well, I think it's going to be interesting, Charlie, because you, as you mentioned, just recently saw Homeland, and you binge-watched it, now you're all caught up. I have seen the first two seasons of Homeland twice. I watched it from the very beginning, from the very first episode. And a few months ago, I actually had to go take care of a relative of mine who had had some surgery and I had to go take care of her. And I decided to introduce her to Homeland. And we ended up binge watching two seasons of the show in around 10 days. So (laughs) I've, I've seen Homeland the first two seasons twice. Hopefully this means that between the two of us we'll have pretty good memories and we'll be able to look back on on what (laughs) happened in previous seasons. And I agree with you. It's a really great show. I loved it from the beginning. I know a lot of critics didn't like season two and thought that season two was a little bit rocky. Some critics thought that it maybe got a little bit too over the top. I actually really loved season two. Um, The first half of season two, first of all, Is kind of brilliant in how it just eats through story. Mm -hmm. And there are plot developments and twists that you would expect most shows to take at least half a season, if not a whole season, to build up to. And for the first half of season two of Homeland, it seems like every episode, they're just eating through all that, getting it out of the way. So by the end, you have no idea what to expect, what direction the show is going to go in. And I I really love that about the show. Yes, the second half of season two does get a little crazy and over the top, but I like that. I like how it's balancing these very real and grounded concerns about terrorism and about war and how we respond to trauma with this kind of pulpy, sensationalistic conspiracy show where you're not quite sure who's the real bad guy what's the secret that everyone is hiding who's really pulling the strings and i i like how it's walking a fine line between being super realistic and super campy almost at times
1: oh absolutely i agree with you i loved season two as well and i know a lot of people as well who are harsh on season two and i can understand why I feel like season one of Homeland is definitely like slower paced because it's setting the table and it's uh, getting you introduced all these characters. It's
0: slower paced, but it's well paced.
1: Oh, it's very well paced. Yeah, by slow paced, I don't want to throw people off into thinking I thought it was
0: boring. I feel like it's only slow paced compared to season two, which is just so fast paced. You're just kind of like, whoa, what is happening? Slow down. This is crazy.
1: Exactly. And I loved season two for being fast paced. But in terms of like a season as a whole and how it holds up, I'd say season one might be a little bit stronger than season two just by like a hair because I feel like season one you're put through Carrie's perspective where you don't know if Brody really is a terrorist and halfway through the season when it seems like he might not be and that it might be um, Tom Walker. I remember that episode where they're in the cabin, and uh, she gets the call from one of her agents that says, oh, you were right, there is a sleeper agent in DC, but it's not Brody, it's Walker. And I remember thinking, oh my god, Like that's so clever that they've put us through Carrie's perspective, and they've already given us the uh, details that she's bipolar, that she's paranoid, that she's taking illegal drugs to sustain her sanity in a way. And then season one is so brutal when everything fires back against her, and it turns out that Brody really is a terrorist and he's working with Tom Walker and Brody basically gets her fired and gets everyone to think that she's crazy and season 1 was so harsh on Carrie i feel like season 2 is Carrie getting everything that she deserves and to see it bounce back like that, I thought was really fascinating because it totally changes up the plot and it doesn't rehash what we've seen in the first season. And then it, Brody of uh, actually takes center stage, in my opinion, for season two and changes in ways that I found to be really unpredictable. I, I think that these two leads together, who are uh, played by Claire Danes and Damian Lewis, they're just uh, such fascinating, complex, flawed, really vulnerable characters uh, who are just trying to do the right thing for the people they love. I love their relationship together.
0: Yeah, it's a series based around two great characters that's walking some really fine lines in terms of not only what the characters know about each other, but also what the audience knows about what's going on. And looking back, now it seems completely obvious that they would structure Season 2 the way they did. because. We spent the whole first season wondering, is Brody a terrorist or is he not a terrorist? And by the end of season one, it was very clear, yes, there was something going on with him. He was not the clean-cut individual he seemed. So for season two, it would have probably been a mistake to keep drawing that out. Mm -hmm. You know, where, oh, is he a terrorist or not? Because the audience already knows that he is. And it can be frustrating after a while to just keep following characters that don't know something that you know. Yeah. So in retrospect, it seems obvious that, of course, they're just going to get that out of the way at the very beginning of season two. Everyone's going to realize he has ties to terrorists and they're going to use that. Uh, But at the time, it just was so shocking that they they went ahead in like episode two or three uh, of Homeland and just got that out of the way. And. I feel like season two is a much different animal than season one. And from the way season two ended, it looks like season three is going to be very different as well. I honestly have no idea what to expect. Getting back to, to what you said earlier, just about some of the stuff that the show touches on, you know, it was created by Alex Gonza and Howard Gordon, both of whom worked on the later seasons of 24. And I have only seen one season of 24, so I can't really comment on that. But from what I've read about 24, you know, that was an interesting show that also dealt with, Issues of terrorism and how do we respond to terrorism. And from what little I know about the series as a whole, its politics do change a little bit
1: Mm -hmm. over the course
0: of the the series. I don't know if you've seen 24. I
1: haven't, actually. I haven't seen a single episode of 24. I'm pretty embarrassed to admit that, too.
0: (laughs) Well, from what I've read, you know, the early seasons were much more about Jack Bauer going out, torturing who he needed to torture and getting the job done and uh-huh. then when obama became president the later seasons from what i've read sort of changed and it was there was less emphasis on the torture and it seemed like a much huh. a much more moderate view of how to handle terrorism so i i didn't know what to think going into homeland like how are they going to deal with some of these complex issues and it would be easy to do it in a very black and white way but what i love about homeland is that everything is gray the characters are gray the issues are gray and everything is uncertain.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, you're rooting for Carrie to get Brody exposed in the first season, but she is doing a lot of terrible things that are breaking the law and, you know, setting up cameras in his house and she's going behind people's backs and she's not, and she's really stubborn for a while and she's not really listening to everybody. So I like the fact that while the show empathizes with these characters and does love them, it's also very brutal and uh, doesn't let them off the hook when they've done something bad to obtain information or for what they believe to be the right reason it's not a show where it's just a cia agent good a terrorist bad right even david estes who is no longer gonna be on this show because he got killed off in the finale uh you think he's this really heroic uh cia manager for a while and then you find out that he and the vice president bombed abu nazir's camp full of kids and you know that they covered it up and all this other stuff and the, the good guys have just as much dirt on and blood on their hands as the villains do in this show.
0: Right. And what you brought up about people doing the wrong things for the right reason, I want to talk a, just a little bit about the Brody-Carrie relationship and their whole dynamic. Because Brody cheated on his wife to go be with Carrie, and now he and his wife are apparently divorced. And I think it would be easy for a show to get bogged down in the melodrama of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very hard for shows to handle an issue like infidelity in a complex way. Just because most of the time it's not a very complex issue. I'll be honest. I'm not a big fan of infidelity, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you cheat on your, on your significant other or your spouse, you're a douchebag and I, I don't really have much sympathy for you. But the thing about Homeland is it does such a good job of showing why that would happen And why Carrie and Brody would be drawn to each other, why he would be able to get something from her that he's not able to get from his family. Mm -hmm. And I I, I think that what it does is it, it not only handles that relationship well, it gets at that larger issue of war and what can war do to people and how after Brody's traumatic experience, he came back and he's not the same. He's not the same person. So is it fair to expect him to love his wife in the same way if he's been wounded at that kind of fundamental level? And you can see in, w- with Carrie, she's a broken person too. She's hurt. She's traumatized by what the war on terror has done. And that's why they're drawn together. They're just they're two broken people looking for comfort that mm-hmm. the rest of the world can't really provide them with. And that to me is what makes that r- relationship work. I was expecting to go in just being very unsympathetic towards Brody and his decision to cheat on his wife and then leave her. But then by the end of season two, I was like, I fully get it. This makes Mm -hmm. sense to me. And as much as I hate to say it, it's probably for the best.
1: I know a lot of people who complained about the ending of season two where it seems like Carrie and Brody are just like A-OK with everything again. And they're like, uh, it's almost like Romeo and Juliet for the CIA slash terrorist age, as some people refer to it as. And I can understand that, because I know a lot of people have complained, well, you know, after Brody's done such horrible things to Carrie, why does she still love him? And you know, if it was executed poorly, I can understand that criticism, but the performances and the writing are so good, and what you said about two broken people just looking for comfort, it it makes total sense. And uh, infidelity with even uh, the supporting characters, too, like uh, Brody's wife Jessica, you know, she was seeing Mike for a long time and they were even considering uh, getting married and he was going to move in, and her infidelity with mike is continuous throughout the seasons too but you know at the same time i can totally understand why she would go to mike
0: because brody's lying to her you know constantly right and and also he hasn't been there no He, he hasn't been there for years so of course she's going to have built up a trust with mike that she doesn't necessarily have yet with brody even though they were married before he went away
1: It's been eight years, though, and, you know, like, I'm sure that Mike was there for a majority of the eight years, and it's hard to get over someone that you loved who you thought was dead. And then to move on from that is hard enough to find love again is probably even harder. And then this is probably just a huge curveball that she could not have seen coming. And I totally empathize with her character. I feel really bad for Jessica and uh, Brody's kids a lot of the time. I even think the stuff with Dana, which I I know a lot of other people didn't like what Dana's subplot in season two was, which was that she gets in a relationship with the son of the vice
0: president. They're involved in a uh, hit and run.
1: They're involved in a hit and run. And um, I know a lot of people said, oh, this is just so over the top and it's so, you know, melodramatic. But it puts Dana in a very similar place that Brody is in a weird way. And I feel like as she's getting older, she's learning about keeping secrets and she's learning about guilt and how to deal with it. The irony of the whole Brody family, too, on top of this now, because season two left off with Brody's suicide tape. For the terrorist attack that he planned to commit in season one, but ultimately didn't, he's now being blamed for committing in season two for the uh, huge explosion in Washington that he didn't commit. And I'm really curious to see where Jessica, Dana, and Chris, and Mike are gonna go from here, now that they've been exposed to what their father is, but for something that he didn't commit. It's very thematically rich and very uh, intense.
0: Right. And getting back to what you were saying about Dana, her whole subplot in season two, I think they could have played that up a little bit too much, but they found, again, just the right balance. And it just gets to that core idea of what the series is all about, which is what is the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. What do we do in this situation where we live in a messed up time? There are people that want to attack us. How do we respond? There are people with secrets. Do we need to keep secrets I love how her whole subplot just really crystallized a lot of those ideas, just how people are being pulled in all these different directions, and it's tough to know what decision is the right one. Just to piggyback off of what you said about the ending of uh, season two, what I like about that ending is that we spent all of season two bringing Carrie and Brody to a place where they could finally be together, and now they can't be together, because now he's on the run and she's back at Langley trying to clear his name. So presumably, for at least portions of season three, they're not going to be together. They're going to be apart, which I think is going to be really interesting because so much of the show until now has been about them finding their way to each other and, and getting together.
1: Well, I think that part of what makes this show great is that there are episodes where Brody and Carrie are apart but they're interacting with one... They're they're tracking what the other person is doing, and then by the time... So that by the time you get to an episode where they are together... Their conversations together, their interactions with one another are so intense and so well-earned because you can't wait to see what these two characters are going to do.
0: Right. It feels like they already know each other very well, both because they've been spying on each other and also because, as uh, I mentioned earlier, they're both just so broken and they're, they, they've they they both got that same part of them missing due to the War on Terror. I think specifically episodes like The weekend in season one, and uh, Q&A in season two, which I believe just won an Emmy. It did. Those are two episodes that are just really two people talking, just them sitting down, having a conversation, and they're riveting episodes just because it's they're so well-written, they're so well-performed, and they just get at the heart of, of all the issues and everything under the surface that this show is about.
1: Yeah, and... um As action-packed as this show is, it's pretty amazing that its most intense episodes usually take place in one setting with just Carrie and Brody. Like the weekend that was just these two basically at a cabin and Q&A, it's basically him just being interrogated by Carrie in a very small room. And even though I love the action-packed episodes, like what I love about the show is that The writers are aware of if you just get two very uh, well-drawn characters into a room together and you have really good writing, you can make that more riveting than however many explosions you want to put up on screen. Like like Michael Bay could really uh, learn a lot from watching Homeland.
0: Right. And uh, real quick, before we wrap up, I just want to give a quick shout out to Rupert Friend who plays Peter Quinn, who is a new character that was introduced in season two. And by the end of season two, I was really intrigued by his character. I hope he's going to be back in season three. I think it'll be interesting to see how they develop his character because he had an interesting dynamic with Carrie, and they went from a place of distrust to one of respect. And there were even hints maybe of some sexual tension between the two of them. So it'll be interesting to see now that... Carrie and Brody are apart, what's going to happen? Are are they going to be friends? Are they going to be enemies? Are they going to go back to distrusting each other? I think that Homeland has done a really good job of developing the supporting characters... And, you know, Charlie, we just wrapped up a Dexter podcast. I'm glad that this Quinn is fairly intelligent.
1: <laughs> yes, this is, this Quinn is everything that the Quinn from Dexter is not. He's mysterious. He can be very terrifying at times. He can be very likable at times. I, I think we're introduced to this character pretty early on in season two. And there's a scene in Q&A where he just stabs a Brody in the hand with a knife, and I just totally didn't see that coming. And while it turns out to be something he played for dramatic effect, before Carrie goes into the room, it was that scene where I was just like, "Whoa, this character could—I—I'm—everything I, I thought I knew about this character just went out the window. He could be anybody." And you know, by the end of uh, season two, he was ready to take out David Estes, and, and you find out that he actually has a moral compass of his own, and he's not just going to be bossed around by David Estes, even though he was hired by him in the first place just uh, to kill Brody. I like the fact that we're not even entirely sure of what his motives are. He seems to be just as morally confused as every other character on this show.
0: Right. And speaking of David Estes, he's gone now. So I'm assuming Saul is now in charge, or someone else is going to be brought in yeah, to oversee what's going on. And uh, Saul, played by Mandy Patinkin, Possibly my favorite character on the show, as much as I love Carrie and Brody. Manny Patinkin as Saul is just, he's just spectacular. We haven't seen a whole lot with him. We're not quite sure as to how many layers there are to Saul. We know that he's had uh, problems with his marriage. We know that that has impacted him a lot. We know that unlike Carrie, ultimately he chose to prioritize work over his love life And that in some ways has been problematic for him, Mm -hmm. at least for his personal life. But professionally, he's great. And I just, I just, I want to see his beard, Charlie. (laughs) I love his beard.
1: I'm sure he'll have a beard during the season premiere. But yeah, I love Saul. I think he's kind of the heart of the show because... He always knows what the right thing to do is. And sometimes a character like that can be a little obnoxious, but he's the smartest character on the show, I think, because he always knows what to do, even though he knows that it'll have consequences for some of the things he loves.
0: Well, you say he knows the right thing to do. He knows the officially correct and right thing to do. He knows what the protocol states you should do. He knows what regulations say you should do. And one of the great things about Homeland is that it explores well What happens when your conscience or your feelings fly in the face of what the quote-unquote officially right thing to do is? Are there multiple right ways to do things, or is there actually no right way to do things? And everyone is just trying to come up with their own way of figuring out what the right thing to do is.
1: Yeah, and I love the tension that he has with Carrie, because Carrie is now choosing Brody over her job, or it seems to be that way. For It seemed like that before the attack at the very end of the uh, season two finale, because These two are like polar opposites where she loves her job, but she is willing to sacrifice it for the people that she loves more, whereas he is the opposite. It's also interesting to me that uh, Saul is one of the few characters that doesn't commit adultery on this show. That we know of. He is very faithful to his wife, and he loves her so much, and he can't stand to watch her be in pain and worry about him and uh, get no affection or time with him.
0: Right. It is very ironic. He's faithful to her, but he still loses her.
1: Exactly. But I love that. The fact that he's so aware of the fact that he's a bad husband makes his character all the more sympathetic.
0: Right. And I'm telling you, Charlie, if he ever shaves that beard, there will be riots. Okay. People will not stand for it. So I don't know how long Homeland's going to be on the air. But I expect the last episode of this series, he has to have that beard. Or maybe he'll shave it at, at, at the very end. And that'll represent how he's come to some incredible, deep, profound change of character.
1: It's all about the beard.
0: <laughs> yes. I don't have a whole lot else to say about Homeland other than I'm looking forward to season three and I'm looking forward to discussing it with you. Uh, we're going to do our best to invite some cool guests onto the show to talk about it with us. And if you're listening, I hope that you will uh, join us and that you'll watch season three of Homeland and then listen to us and see what we had to say and uh, join in the discussion. Charlie, do you have any final thoughts?
1: One more thought. I really want to see where they're going to take Chris this season because I feel like Chris is a character that's off to the side a lot and I don't think he's a bad or unnecessary character by any means, but he just went through puberty in season two and like he's not really sure. He doesn't even remember his father but until he comes home. He was so little when he left.
0: And now his father is supposedly a terrorist.
1: Is supposedly a terrorist and I feel so bad for Chris because he's so innocent and he's just trying to do be a nice kid and And he knows that his mom and dad are struggling and there's nothing that he can do but watch this train wreck happen. He's being bossed around by Dana, who I do love Dana, but you know, she's an older sister and older sisters end up bossing their younger siblings around. So we don't really know a whole lot about Chris or what's going on inside of his head. And I want to see where this latest development in terms of framing Brody for this crime, how that uh, affects him because I feel like it's going to hit him pretty hard.
0: Well, given that this is showtime, if I had to predict an arc for Chris, I think that by the end of the series, he'll decide to exile himself to the Pacific Northwest and become a lumberjack just because he can't deal with uh, 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 can't deal with all the <laughs> pressure. <laughs> or he'll be like the youngest sibling on Weeds,
1: who will uh, in the first season be the weird uh, younger sibling, and by the fifth season will uh, be
0: murdering people. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's an interesting point. Maybe Chris will be like, I love my dad. He's my role model. I want to be just like him and he's oh. I think he's a terrorist so oh god <laughs> and then we're gonna get into all this stuff about
1: like oh it'll be like Dexter all over again with him taking Chris under his wing and <laughs> oh no <laughs> well I love how Brody now has come full circle and has realized that he's been brainwashed and taken apart piece by piece and reconstructed into a completely different person as Carrie uh stated in Q&A both protagonists have gone through arcs. Both characters are completely different people from the first episode. They are both suffering consequences of their actions, but I believe they're both worthy of redemption, and I believe they are, uh, believe they're worthy of redemption, too. And it's definitely
0: going to be intense. I'm looking forward to it. And if there's anything Showtime has proved, it's that their shows are good for at least three or four seasons. So we're, we're, we're still in, probably, in the good time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think so. I mean, Weeds and Dexter didn't really fall. They didn't really go overboard until season five. So I think we're in the clear.
0: (laughs) Right. Hopefully Showtime has learned from their mistakes. We will uh, have to wait and see. All right. That will wrap it up for this introductory episode of The Briefing Room. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our new podcast, all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Charlie, where can people find you online?
1: You can find the articles that I've written for your magazine, Emerson, at issue. That's I-S-S-U-U dot slash your mag Emerson. And you can follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H, 91.
0: You can find some of my writing at movimezzanine.com and patheos.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And we'll see you Defending the Homeland.